everyone, and welcome to the Riffing on Realness podcast. I'm Carla Royal, a mindset and performance coach working with high-achieving entrepreneurs, and with me is Juliette Fay, a poet and three principles facilitator. If you are wrestling with how to be real in the midst of rampant superficiality, and it's causing you to overthink, be too guarded, and not live your potential, then you're in the right place. In this podcast, Juliet and I explore how dropping the masks, being real and vulnerable, can help us connect, adapt, and find a richness of experience amid the chaos. We're glad you're here, and we invite you to tune in, slow down, and listen for your own wisdom. Good morning, Juliet. Good morning, Carla. So Juliet and I always hop on a few minutes before we record our episode to kind of see what's up for both of us and what we might want to riff on that day. And it's always so interesting and juicy. We, we start to get into things and then we're like, wait, we have to hit record because Juliet just said something that was golden. And I'm like, we got to hit record, Juliet. And we were talking about um, the idea of what if, what if our feelings are not, um, what, what was it, Juliet? How did we say it? What if, what, if, what if how we feel doesn't matter? Yes. What if how we feel doesn't matter? Now, I have to, I have to admit, Juliet, that that like, is like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? You cannot be read. Because um, as I think we both discussed, um, I have been quite the drama queen in my life. Now, I, I, I will say that my drama queenness has been much more internal than external. A lot of people um, wouldn't necessarily know it. Now, those closest to me, those in my very inner circle would say, oh, yes, 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 she is a drama queen. Um, but it's not terribly external, and especially at this point in my life. But for me, emotions were everything. Like, and, and, and believing that, Juliet, really kept me back a lot in my life in some ways because if I didn't feel a certain way then I felt like I couldn't act a certain way or be a certain way I mean it's like was like my emotions were telling me everything about who I was I believed that for decades and it's why I think I mentioned on another episode if I woke up feeling down or low or bad uh, in the morning, then I might go and cancel sessions with clients back in the day because I was like, well, I can't possibly show up authentically when I'm feeling low, which is laughable to me now. I wouldn't dream of doing that now, but I did dream of it back in the day and did it, you know. So I think it would be a useful um, conversation to have. Yeah, I, it was funny as we said it. Um, what if your how you feel doesn't matter? I, I just heard this re- re- retort, which was, you cannot be serious, yes. <laughs> following yes. on from our episode on seriousness. Yes, yes. Um, but me too, when you were saying, uh, you know, who knows where we picked up that idea, but I had the same sort of interpretation that my feelings <laughs> must be telling me about a about me well mainly mostly about me mm-hmm. <laughs> but also about the world and other people mm-hmm. and my work or my relationships or my diet or my exercise routine and so and I was under the misunderstanding that the more intense my feelings were 
you know, the bigger problem they were indicating. Um, and, and by intense, I suppose I mean the ones that to me felt intensely horrible or difficult. Um, so absolutely. And, and, and so the more urgent and, and compelling my feelings were, the more I paid attention to them. Mm-hmm. And I completely relate to what you were saying about, um, you know, not feeling, um, waking up not feeling good, feeling low or agitated or depressed or anxious. And immediately running, beginning that sort of um, interpretation, I suppose it is, or story that that would mean, how can I go and do do my work today? What can I do? And anyone who's experienced sort of extreme anxiety or panic attacks will, will know that feeling, that the idea that you can't do something sort of grabs, seems to grab you and you, and you seem to run with it. And before you know it, you know, you're, you're not leaving the house or you're, you're not going to work or school or or whatever or like you say cancelling appointments and it's really interesting when you said it to realize that like you uh, I can still have moments where those those um, feelings look true in fact recently because a lot of us have been home working home based and doing things online when I uh, returned to doing some in-person very small groups the first day back, and it's been months and months since I've been in a room delivering um, uh, group sort of conversations, um, even though we have you know protocols in place of distancing and masks and all that kind of thing, I found myself extremely anxious waking up and, and did have a moment there of thinking, can, can I really go in? I'm not sure I can go in feeling like this. Mm-hmm. And I love what you point to because um, the next thought that occurred to me was, okay, get in the shower and put some loud 1980s dance music on the, Mm -hmm. on the. um, (laughs) No, I would say the 70s. This shows our age difference. No, no, the (laughs) 70s dance music. (laughs) And it was just extraordinary. By the time I came out of the shower, uh, I was, I just knew I was going in. Mm -hmm. And and after that, it was a bit strange for the first 10 minutes um, when I got there, but actually it it was okay and and what's I love what you were pointing at because I think you and I have learned to from we we have an we share an understanding that how we feel is not a reliable indicator of who we are it's Mm -hmm. just how we feel in that moment and we've both learned from experience that nine times out of 10, you can carry on with whatever you were going to be doing. And the feeling, you know, sometimes it lingers a bit, but some usually there'll come a point when you realize you don't feel how you were feeling perhaps when you first woke up. Mm -hmm. And I know for myself that looked impossible at one time. And so I think for our listeners, it's something we'd encourage you to experiment and and see for yourself if that is true in your experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a feel the fear and do it anyway. It's slightly different to that. It comes from a knowing that there's something beyond our feeling state. Mm-hmm. And it also comes from me beginning to realize that that the compelling, the urgency, it's a red flag now. Mm-hmm. And it's, and you've talked about this, the red flag is 
what is going through my mind is almost certainly untrue and unhelpful. In, in that ramped up place. Yeah. So the, you know, the urgency before might, might have been, I must pick up the phone and speak to this person. I must send an email response, you know, how dare this, <laughs> this company do this. And that can, that urgency before made it look more true. Whereas now I see that urgency meaning, oh, oh, I'm out of balance. I'm not seeing things very clearly. Mm-hmm. And if I can pause and hang on and hold fire, then this is probably going to look different to me in who knows, maybe an hour, maybe later in the day, maybe tomorrow. You know, that old phrase, I'll just sleep on it. Mm-hmm. So much wisdom in that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of things are coming up for me, Juliet. Um, one is I notice that um, there are certain personalities like yours and mine who tend to, uh, you know, we tend to want to, at least in the past and sometimes still for me, um, I'm sure not for you, though, uh, Juliet, because you've. <laughs> but you but, I'm <laughs> but um, you know, my tendency certainly has been to collapse into my emotions. And we've talked about the difference in having emotions and collapsing in emotions. But there are other people who other personalities who um, avoid emotions all the time, all the all, uh, it, totally. They go to the opposite extreme. And so I want to say that, that um, you know, like for me, if I wake up low, wake up feeling bad, wake up, you know, whatever, that um, that I need to kind of, for me, I kind of need to push through that and, and show up, right? But there are other people who never slow down, never stop, never listen um, to that deeper wisdom, which is really beneath our emotions and, and our um, stressful thinking, that they may, they may need to take a day off. You know, so I, I just want to say, and you've pointed this out in the past episodes too, that um, that there are times when you 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 might need to cancel, or you might need to stay home, or you might need to rest. There are those times. So we I, we just want to point that out that that um, it, it doesn't mean whatever you feel, ignore it and just plow through. No, we're not saying that, but we are talking about the difference in having your emotions and collapsing into your emotions and listening for something deeper. Uh, as I say to some of my clients, and they love this, is that, um, and I think I first heard this from my colleague, um, Debbie Trent, who said, you know, thoughts scream and wisdom whispers. Mm-hmm. And so if you're hearing all this screaming in your head with your uh, thoughts and emotions, that may be um, the the alarm clock that wakes you up that, no, that's not the time to listen to them. And wisdom whispers it's something much deeper. So I have this client that I've been working with who, um, a young, uh, very successful entrepreneur, love him so much. And um, he came to me because he was freaking out about his business because they were, (laughs) this is, I know this will sound strange to people who aren't in this world and people who are in this world will get it. He was extraordinarily stressed out because they were doing so well. And it freaked him out because he was afraid uh, of losing it, of it going away. And he had uh, uh, attached his identity to his work. So he came in with extreme anxiety, fear, and not able to sleep. And we worked through that. And he came to a really, really different place with it. But on the last call, he said, now those 
some of some of the anxiety is starting to creep in a little bit and I've got to figure out a way to stop it because all I want to feel is just peaceful and all this stuff. And I said, wait a minute, man, that's a trap. It's not going to work because you've decided that these feelings of occasional anxiety are a problem or indicating that there is a problem or could be a problem that you have to fix. And what I want you to know is that no, no, they're actually not indicating a problem at all. We all have moments of anxiety. And the trick is to kind of come to a place of acceptance about your humanity and also just allow those emotions just to move through you rather than deciding that they're a problem. Just allowing for them to be there, not making them a problem, not analyzing them too much, not judging them too much, and just and just letting them um, in their own time kind of move through like a storm moves through the sky. And he sat with that for a while, and he, he you know, he pushed back in the beginning a little bit, but then he really started to get it. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see that these feelings of anxiety are not necessarily a problem. If I just leave them alone in their own time, they'll move through. And so he he left that session, A, feeling honestly more centered and grounded, and he wasn't worried. And two, he said, I'm going to play with this idea. I'm going to experiment with it and see, see what that does for me, see how that is for me. And I just loved, number one, I just loved his openness to that and that he could could see that. Yeah. And, oh, it's just so beautiful that you could point point that out because, I mean, that was something that caught me early on, I think, in, as a young woman. You know, I started experiencing big mood swings in my teens and um, I was desperate to find a nice feeling and st- and stay in it and i was afraid of the the dips the big dips in mood um i like the highs but I, I was afraid of the lows and it's so lovely when we when the way you sort of explain that to the client and i had a question bubbled up for me literally just before we i jumped on this call with you which is i'm wondering if that sort of holy grail that many people, when you really unwrap what people want in life, usually comes down to peace of mind, Mm -hmm. feeling of ease, peace, connection. And, And this question bubbled up, you know, are we looking in the wrong place for that? Are we looking in our feelings, in our emotions for that? And when you use that analogy of the sky and the clouds, I thought, yeah, you know, that's like constantly scanning the clouds. You know, is is that the peaceful, easy feeling coming in now? If it is, I need to grab it and hold it and, you know, try and try and um, bottle it so I can, you know, drink me anytime, anytime I want. And yet in your analogy and what we know about the nature of clouds is they they drift in and they drift out all shapes and sizes, all different colors through, you know, from black to yellow and pink and white and gray. And what I started to wonder is perhaps one of the reasons we get so obsessed actually with how we feel some of us do, or as you said, the it's kind of two sides of the same coin to totally suppress and ignore how you feel and just be totally busy and 
um, never really leaving any space. That it's both the same thing, really. You're either so absorbed in them that you're constantly monitoring how you feel and you're using it as a feedback system on your life, or you're perhaps at some level see emotions as so untrustworthy and so unreliable that you you don't really want anything to do with them. So you just sort of, you know, block them out. But can you see, does it feels to me like they're, they're just two flavours of the same thing, mm-hmm. of misunderstanding that emotions are just, uh, I think we just do have varying emotions. Otherwise, why would we have the capacity to feel such an extraordinary range of nuanced feelings that we, we all share? We all have that capacity whether or not we express them, whether or not we talk about them, we have the capacity to feel mm-hmm. this huge range. And so what struck me was that that you quoted in another episode, the lovely Julian of Norwich, um, all shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And that, when you say that quote, most people will recognise a sense in that. And it's when... To me, that feels like when everything relaxes, mm-hmm. you know, my mind, my body, um, the, and, and also the past disappears, the future, I stop worrying about it. And I'm just sort of, I just arrive here. Mm-hmm. And, and the question that arose for me before I came on was, maybe that's not an emotion. Mm-hmm. Maybe that is actually what's there when we're not paying attention to how we feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and thinking about Julian of Norwich, you know, when I've read about her, when she wrote that, apparently, and don't don't quote me on the details because I'm not a detail person, but I'm pretty sure this is accurate. She was going through a really, really difficult time. So that that did those words all shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well, did not come from this place of, oh my gosh, I feel so great. I'm so happy. Everything's hunky-dory. No, no. It was in the midst of some really difficult things. And I don't remember what those things are. You can look it up. Um, That came from something deeper than those emotions. What occurred to me when you uh, picked up on the sky metaphor was, you know, what would it be like for us if, you know, People love clouds. They, I live right here on the water and the beach on the water and everybody flocks every night out to watch the sunset. And to be honest with you, the sunsets without clouds are just not very interesting. But the more, you know, the clouds make for such an interesting sunset and storm clouds, you know, they're storm chasers because storms are so magnificent to watch and to see. And I think the difference when you and I go out and look at the clouds is there's a little separation between us and the clouds. We don't over identify with the clouds so much. There's a little bit of separation there so that we can actually enjoy the changing clouds, even the extraordinary, um, uh, extraordinarily dark stormy clouds with lightning in them. And so it makes me wonder, what if we could do that with our emotions? If we could have a little bit of detachment, not not so overly identified with them, and we could just sit back and kind of watch them. And I I kind of have a sense of this because 
Um, I remember how clearly I got this a couple of years ago when one of my favorite people in the world unexpectedly died. And I, I was just full of grief. And that grief just by itself was extraordinarily rich and healing. Honestly, Juliet, just in and of itself, it, it, was, um, it, it was definitely not a problem. And it felt like real and authentic and like, yes, this is how much I love that friend. Of course, I would feel all of this. Now, when I started piling all these stories on top of that grief, I started to suffer. When I started to say things to myself like, why didn't I go visit her? I knew I needed to go. Why did her husband let her have this dangerous surgery? Why did she choose? Now I started to suffer. Now I started to over-identify, I guess, with, with the emotion rather than just letting it be raw and real and moving through me and in a way doing a healing work in me, if that makes sense, because I do think grief um, is healing if we don't pile on all those stressful stories about what we should have done, what we could have done, what could have been. You know, all of those things now make it something very different. And so I love that idea of what would it be like if we could have a little bit of space between us and the emotion and just watch it curiously with interest. I, I, yes. And, and there's something in the way you describe feeling that grief, which is it, it's, it's subtle, this, as you said, because it's not being a detached observer. That wasn't what I heard you saying. It's, almost the opposite it's being wholeheartedly in the experience without the commentary and the story mm-hmm. and yet the 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 observer bit piece you're talking about what's coming to mind and it might be stretching the uh, the metaphor a bit but is that part of the beauty of the clouds as i too live near the water and i and i'm i take thousands of photographs of these the, the sky above the water with the with the hills beyond because the colors the shapes the light are just constantly changing and what strikes me is it is the sun that is illuminating the clouds mm. even on the darkest day we wouldn't it would be night if the sun wasn't in the sky there would be no clouds to mm-hmm. to see mm-hmm. unless there was a full moon but if the sun in this metaphor is is consciousness if if that is what lights up all our emotions allows us to feel them then when i was talking about the sort of all is well uh peace you you probably you may have heard this analogy with moods that the sun is always there however thick the cloud you know behind it is always the sun and I can remember a teacher of mine said very quietly at the end of somebody sharing that metaphor and of course you are the sun Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I kind of went to nod along yes yes of course I'm the sun when I thought huh (laughs) (laughs) what what did she say (laughs) because I was imagining you know I was here looking up at the clouds trying to you know we want to feel the sun because we think then we'll feel okay Mm -hmm. but if in fact we are the sun that changes it around you know then the clouds have it we have a different relationship to those clouds then don't we Mm -hmm. 
if we're no longer standing on the sand, but we're, you know, looking back down. And yeah. I think because we both have had that experience where if somebody said, as we said in this title, your feelings don't matter. What if your feelings don't matter? I, mean, I would have been seriously offended by that, <laughs> that suggestion. How dare you say my feelings don't matter? You know, I've invested hours and hours <laughs> in these feelings. And, years. Um, <laughs> days, weeks, months, years. And I said to Carla before we came on record that I would have made a fantastic um, opera diva if only I could sing because my life was like an opera. Everything was intense, a big deal, dramatic, and nobody understood how I felt. Mm-hmm. You know, my feelings were bigger than everybody else's. Me too. I think <laughs> mine were bigger than yours, Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to fight you on that one, God. <laughs> Just ask my family. <laughs> I, I don't think our family should get together. <laughs> and... And it's when there, when you have no awareness that there's anything but how you feel, mm-hmm. then it would make sense, you know, in a weird sort of way. We, by taking our feelings so seriously and investing them with so much importance, in a weird sort of way, we were honoring our life experience to the max. <laughs> mm-hmm. But when you start to realize that, there is something beyond that that there's some aspect of experience that isn't the i having all the moods having all the mood swings having all the intense emotions yeah and i think that's what i meant by yeah i'm i'm glad you said that about not detached not a detached observer but that not an over identifying observer you know lot not making those clouds or those feelings who I am or, or to say anything about who I am. And um, what, what I'm thinking about too, is how we, we, you know, my, my client said to me, as we were talking, he said, Oh, I see, I see. I'm making certain um, emotions bad and certain emotions good. And I see that that can be a problem for me. And I'm like, right. And an emotion in and of itself really can't be bad. You think about, um, Uh, If you think about fear, there are people who seek that out. I mean, I myself went bungee jumping, which was terrifying, (laughs) terrifying. (laughs) You know, there are people who seek that out. There are people who go to horror movies because they seek out wanting to be afraid. You know, so so that that fear in and of itself really can't be a problem. You know, people seek um, anxiety, feelings of anxiety, that adrenaline, that it feels the same uh, in a body that's seeking out those uh, same physical sensations that anxiety produces that some people just are terrified of and do everything they can to stay away from. And other people go pay tons of money to have that experience. So... Yeah, it's really, it's, it's really interesting. It's really, really interesting. That, that's a fascinating point, Carla, because it's back to naming things. So when, when an emotion is felt in the body, I love where this is going. So 
in fact, I know somebody told me a story, which I'll share very briefly. So when their daughter was quite little, I think they were going to have to go and perform something at the school. Maybe it was the, you know, a singing or a play or something. And um, the, the little girl said, you know, I've got this feeling in my tummy. And and so the mum said, what does it feel like? And she said, oh, it, it, it's um, it's all tingly. And um, and she said, what is that? And the mum had this moment where she realised it was probably butterflies mm-hmm. and that this little girl hadn't yet learned to, to identify that as anxiety or mm-hmm. nerves. Mm-hmm. And the mum said to her, oh, that's excitement. Mm-hmm. Yes. And isn't that powerful? Because the little girl felt this and I think she's actually gone on to do performance to become a performer oh. and at a very young age uh, uh, you know a helpful adult gave her a label that she didn't have to worry about yeah well uh, and isn't that is that just we just do the opposite we label we, things and then give ourselves a reason to worry <laughs> yes well that reminds me of the I think I've even shared the story the Pema Chodron story Pema Chodron is a Buddhist nun you know she's She's um, this aware, enlightened, not, I, I don't know about enlightened, but spiritual being. And she was on a ship with her grandson on a cruise um, many years ago. And he wanted to go, he's, you know, maybe eight or 10. He wanted to go up to the bow of the boat and kind of reenact the whole um, um, Titanic scene where he stretches his arms out and leans out. And as he went up to do that, <clears throat> she said, grandson, you know, as I watch you doing that, my pulse is racing and I'm sweating and I've got this tingling in, you know, under my skin. And she was describing her fear to her grandson. And her grandson looked at her grandmother and his grandmother and said, me too, grandma, me too. And he and she realized in that moment that he was experiencing the same sensation she was, but he experienced them as excitement. And she experienced them as fear. And so she got the lesson from her grandson. Oh, my gosh, it's the story. And I have this happen to me. You know, I've been uh, coaching or doing therapy since 1990, but I still get, in my words, nervous sometimes on a new call. Mostly I don't. And then sometimes I just get so nervous. I have no idea why. And what I try to do now is, is kind of, uh, yeah, give it a little bit of a reframe. Oh, I'm excited. (laughs) I'm excited. And my mother was a singer and I'm a singer. And, you know, she said, you need some nerves to, to, otherwise you're going to be a little bit flat. You're going to be a little bit boring. You need, you need some, you know, and we've, we've heard from research too, that a little bit of stress is good gives you a little bit of energy. It helps you stay on your toes a little bit. But when we hear that word stress, most of us go to bad, bad, bad. When really the research shows, no, no, a little bit of stress is actually a good thing. It can be helpful to us. Oh, I love that. I just had the image of the difference between still water and sparkling. Mm. A little bit of sparkle in the system. I love that. Just, you know, gives it a little pep. Which is it's gorgeous. And I think that points to to the um the two or three things have all come up, but but um one of them is that I keep being brought back to this notion that in any given moment the possibility of uh, for what we we can experience is infinite. Mm-hmm. 
and, and I visited Tasmania in Australia many years ago. And I know this, this saying probably applies to lots of places, but there they have a saying, if you don't like the weather, come back in 10 minutes because it will have changed. <laughs> That's how it is here in Florida too, a lot of times. There you go. And, you know, if if you take nothing else from, from this podcast series or from this episode, knowing that the mind can change knowing that whatever you see now, whatever you think, whatever you feel in this moment, uh, it's going to change. And, and this has been a bit of a recurring theme this week that many of us get caught in the idea that, you know, we should be managing our thinking better or our, managing our feelings or coping better or, or seeing through the illusion, illusory nature of thought. And we spend a lot of time in beating ourselves up around our inability to do this. And I just had this really strong sense this week, you know, when we when we get caught in, some people call it a thought storm, we get caught in powerful emotions. You know, one way or another, we do come out of those. Mm-hmm. Now, we might catch that that we're in, you know, we've talked about this, suddenly you see something comical about what you're up to and, and it sort of dissolves in the moment. Or you might realise that it's not um, the, something out there that's irritating you. It's it's your own irritated sort of state of mind. Or you might dive deep into it, get really, really strung out, you know, go the whole, do the whole experience like the horror movie and actually, you know, does it matter? Because either way, whether you pop out quickly, whether you hang out in it for weeks and anything in between, at some point, you move into a different state of mind. Mm-hmm. And what that points to for me is we think we're controlling all of this mm-hmm. <laughs> with our very limited view of, you know, the world and our limited knowledge and experience whatever age we are it's always we're always limited if we're looking through the perspective of what we know uh we think that it's down to us when we pop out of a mood it's down to us how how spiritual we are as to how easily we can not be irritated Mm -hmm. but what if it isn't and what if it doesn't matter back to the title of this episode Mm -hmm. if we didn't care how we felt so much what would that do? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I was telling that very same client I was describing earlier that his um, he, he his uh, psychological system is always seeking equilibrium, and that there's a way in which when we just leave the emotional turbulence alone, um, your psychological system will, in time, find equilibrium again I'm thinking of the pond metaphor I've used before that if a pond is churned up and you've lost something in the pond um, the thing to do is go sit on the bank and let the pond come back to clarity so that you can find what you're looking for Mm -hmm. and there's a way in which um, when we do that and and we we give ourselves a bit of tender loving care you know if if you cut yourself you you just you just clean it up and bandage it and then let the physical system go to work and heal it. You don't actually heal it, but you do attend to it with a little bit of compassion. You don't ignore it so that it festers and you don't keep 
pulling off the bandage and digging in there to see if it's healing. No, you give it a little tender, loving care. And it seems to me that when we are caught up in our emotional storms, our thought storms, that that's just our signal to sit on the bank of ourselves and wait, to give ourselves a little bit of tender, loving care um, and, and drop all of that judgment and shame and, and hyper analysis or hyper denial uh, and avoidance, but that we that we just kind of uh, attend to ourselves very gently uh, uh, um, and carefully during those times, uh, and and you know in many cases go about our day and get our work done, or in extreme cases go and lie down, but that we do that with a lot of self acceptance. Yeah, I love the sit on the bank of yourself um, sort of metaphor you've you've shared with me before, and I'm just. It's just coming alive even more because in that churned up muddy pond, you know, trying to what I think what we often try to do is if we don't like how we're feeling, we try to manufacture a different feeling Mm -hmm. or chase that feeling away or suppress that feeling or, you know, unpack, examine and and, um, analyze that feeling into submission and that's kind of like, as you said, getting in this in the pond with your big galoshes on mm-hmm. and stamping around, trying to calm the pond down and moving plants around and trying to get put the fish back where they've, you know, shot off to take cover. And it just creates a big muddy, you know, mess and and the the stillness and clarity we're looking for. And this is this is back to actually points beautifully to that question I asked. What if that all is well feeling is not in the in our emotions? Mm-hmm. So when you say sit on the bank of yourself, what I hear there is there is a I don't know what you'd call it, a space, a sense where we are just outside of all our emotions, all of our stories, all of our concepts, all of our beliefs. And it can sound very mystical, but I don't think it is. I think it's when you, I think we touch those ordinary moments all the time when we are no longer, you know, we say we're unself-conscious. So we might, I was down on there walking on the estuary today and there was a crow uh, walking around quite close to me. And I was fascinated by him because he wasn't afraid. And I just watched him. And I was just thinking, you know, he's he's a, he's a bird with attitude. You know, he's like, I'm not moving. You're in my space and I'm just going to work my way around you. And I, and I was just absorbed in watching how he moved and how he was picking up these tiny shells, see if there was anything in them. And, you know, and I almost felt like he was keeping one eye on me out the corner of his side he wasn't at all bothered by me and in that moment you know I wasn't thinking about myself I wasn't referencing back to me what does this crow say about me does my bum look big to this crow you know there was none of that it's just like one being to another you know just watching him mm-hmm. and that's sitting on the bank of yourself you know in that space what I'm seeing, Carla, is that the things we talk about, like gentleness, compassion, gratitude, acceptance, the more time we spend on the bank of ourselves, mm-hmm. the more those things flow naturally. Yeah. So it's not so much do those things and then you're allowed on the bank of yourself. Mm-hmm. It's 
being on the bank of yourself is when you're not caught up stirring that pond up. Yeah. It's a not doing. Mm-hmm. What just popped into my mind was uh, a, a coaching group I'm in. I, I saw someone say, I've got a client, you know, I want to help him get mentally tough. And uh, can y'all make some recommendations about how to help my client get mentally tough? And the thing that came to my mind immediately was, what about becoming tender? You know, what about tenderness? You know, what, what would that do for us if we, if we approached ourselves, each other in life with, with, from a place of much more tenderness? And again, you know, I think it's a it's a byproduct of it's not really discovering that place. I think it's it's recognition is is what we're looking for, because mm-hmm. for a long time, I mean, I, I think I probably had a secret desire to find enlightenment. And I thought I'd know it when it arrived because there'd be trumpets and chariots and <laughs> um, everyone would be cheering. <laughs> <laughs> And these days, uh, you know, I'm beginning to realize like so much in this understanding, it is so much more ordinary and so much simpler. And it's not a place or a destination. It's not an arrival point. It's simply those moments when the thing we, we talk about often and point at is that that's something bigger than you moves forward in your awareness. You know, you get you you it comes into focus say whereas much of the time it can seem that we're just preoccupied with our day-to-day lives and our ups and downs and our moods and relationships and work and whatever else is going on the news politics and I'm beginning to glimpse that it's in those tiny moments it's in that gorgeous first cup of coffee of the day it's it's in that unexpected, you know, knock on the door from a neighbour bringing something round. And it's not special or and it doesn't come with chariots or trumpets. <laughs> it's very ordinary, isn't it? Yeah. But that's sort of where life is at. That's the richness. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy to overlook it and go chasing all over the place, thinking it's some it's a bigger deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you're right. And I think that when we collapse into our emotions, they do become a problem. But if we sit on the bank of ourselves and watch those emotional storm clouds moving through, we might find quite a lot of enjoyment and appreciation and and, and curiosity about those storms and find that they're not a problem. Just like we go seeking out those storm clouds. We want to photograph them. We want to watch them. We want to enjoy them. I think that if we could um, have a little space between ourselves and our emotions and not over-identify with them so much, we could we could come to to appreciate them so much more, and they could actually enrich our lives rather than always wanting to feel this pleasant emotion. We might be able to to enjoy all of our emotions so much more as we take them a little less personally, a little less seriously, and we uh, and we look for the beauty in them. Yeah, it brings to mind, there's a lovely film, uh, A Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe, mm-hmm. who plays a mathematician. Some of you may have watched it. I think it, he's a real person, isn't he? And it's the story of his oh, yes. 
life, I don't remember the name of the mathematician, but he had a brilliant mind and he went into psychosis or schizophrenia, I don't remember which. And the film is a very, talking of tender, a very tender depiction mm. of his life with his wife. And there's one point when he's, I think he's he's been through a, a really difficult episode and he's back home. I think he's come out of hospital and he's sitting in the kitchen and he's at a bit of a loss and his wife's busy doing something in the kitchen, cooking or, or something. And I think it's her that says at one point to him, she's trying to coax him into doing something, you know, just get, undertaking some gentle activity. And she says to him, it's occupations available. And this used to be a real catchphrase for me for a long time. Um, and it, I don't think I even really knew why it caught my attention. But now it's just it's funny that it's come back today. I see it as it ties into this notion that, you know, what we do and what we're up to is is doesn't really matter, perhaps in a bit similar way that the emotions don't really matter in and of themselves. It's that we get to experience whatever we're doing. So that's both the activity. And in this case, on this episode, we're talking about the emotions. And it really, uh, talking of film, I mean, in the, in the people sharing the principles understanding may well have come across this analogy of you go into a, a movie house and you watch a movie and you know it's a movie so mm -hmm. you can throw yourself into that experience you can jump out of your seat when when something frightening happens you can have your heart race as there's a car chase you can do all of this knowing that at any point you can get up and leave the movie theater the, the, that movie will come to an end and you will leave and you're untouched. You've just had an experience. Mm -hmm. And again, as these metaphors often do, that's really going deeper for me in relation to our topic about emotions. So if you knew there was nothing on it, mm -hmm. I think what you're, you're, you're pointing at, Carla, is that that wouldn't, make you sort of stand back and just have a I used to fear you know my life would just be bland with no emotion <laughs> I wouldn't feel anything mm -hmm. that's not what we're pointing at is it it's it's the opposite if if you had no story about how you felt you would just get to feel the full experience in glorious technicolor yeah yeah and we are at, at our time Julia but it reminds me of being out in my boat and, and, you know, in Florida, the storms will just pop out of nowhere. And, you know, we have driven through a couple of storms. I mean, we have driven through our boat through some, some scary storms, but it was exhilarating because it was so bad and came so fast that honestly we had no opportunity, if you will, to, create all these stories and all these things in our mind. We just had to get, we just drove through it. We just, we just had to go through it. We just had to do it. And there was something really exhilarating and exciting about that. And of course, you know, we made it because here I sit with you. <laughs> so yeah, this has been a really juicy um, and interesting. I'd love to hear from our listeners how it lands for them because like you, Juliet is like, what? Our emotions don't matter. And, um, you know, we are and aren't saying that in a way, but we are inviting people to um, to get curious about about this. 
Yeah, I've loved it too. And yes, I echo that. I'd love to hear how it lands for the listeners. Thank you all. You've been listening to the Riffing on Realness podcast with Carla Royal and Juliet Fay. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and share with a friend. We would truly appreciate it if you'd rate and review this podcast, which will help others find us. You can visit me, Carla, at CarlaRoyal.com. I am a mindset and performance coach working with high-achieving, high-performance entrepreneurs and business owners who are quietly dealing with too much mental chatter and anxiety. Juliet, loves freedom of mind, which she explores and shares through poetry and conversations. Find her at soulcare.org. That's soulcare, S-O-L-C-A-R-E.org. We'll see you next time on Riffing on Realness. Mm-hmm.